Hey, good morning, Journey. Great to worship again with you today, and, and thank you for joining us in this, in this worship time. I would encourage you, if you haven't done so, to check in with us on the chat lines and text us your prayer requests and praises. You can, you can use your, our new short code, 77411. Save that in your phone and text with the keyword JCC Pray, and you'll get a response with the form to fill out your prayer requests and praises so we can stay connected. Also, if you're a married couple, don't forget to check out our website for the upcoming marriage event night. It's on October 3rd. We're actually offering that in a limited uh, space in our worship area. So we have a limited number of people that can come or you can do it online. Just register online and you'll be able to watch it from home as well. We're on our fourth mountain today, Mount Carmel. And I wanted to start with a story again about Everest. Yasuko Namba was a Japanese uh, a FedEx employee, and she always loved climbing mountains. She had climbed many mountains in her lifetime, but at the age of 46, she made it her goal to be the first female, the oldest female and the oldest person to ever climb Everest. So she went off with her expedition. She was laser focused on making it to the top. When things started, she would push her way around and navigate her way to the front of the climb group. And she, she would be ready to go early and want to climb late. And finally, they got to the last base camp before they made the final trek up to the peak. And a weather report came in that warned them of danger yet to come. But she wasn't going to let that stop her. So she grabbed a few of the folks in her expedition and took off that morning to make the last part of the trek all the way to the top of Mount Everest. And you know what? She did it. She was the oldest female and the oldest person at the time to ever make the climb up Everest. But that weather pattern did come in. And she found herself trapped with, with snow and ice all around her. And eventually, her and her fellow partners, their energy gave out and they ended up dying at the top of Everest, frozen into the mountain. Now, that's an indicator of what happens when we choose wrong methods in our life to accomplish our mountain climbs. Wrong methods are just as bad as wrong mountains. And if we don't watch it, the wrong ways we approach a problem will end up causing more tragedy in our life than the problem we're facing. That's the lesson from the Mount Carmel of Israel we're going to read about today. It's in 1 Kings chapter 18. It's the story of Elijah. There's been a three-year famine because of the sin of Israel, and God is calling Israel to stop wavering in their choices and to turn back to him. And today, we want to talk about a matter that nobody likes talking about. <laughs> we're going to talk about what sin is and how it works and, and what makes it so tragic and what we can learn from this mountain about sin. And I'm just going to say up front to you, you don't like hearing about sin. I know that. I don't like talking about sin. It's not fun. And certainly nobody likes their sin pointed out. But the fact is, if we're ever going to achieve the mountain climbs God has given us, we have to change our methods and learn enough about sin that we can avoid it. See, it's, it's not people that are the problem. Sin is the problem. And we want to open our eyes through this lesson from Mount Carmel to learn about sin so that we can climb our challenges and our problems and our mountains properly. Here's the first thing we want to see in verse chapter 18, verse 1. God sends Elijah back to Ahab to, to prophesy to him and to tell him we are going to give you rain. So... That's what Elijah does. He shows up. Verse 16, Obadiah went to meet Ahab. That was the worker of, of Ahab, the king, and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Verse 17, when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Listen to that. King Ahab, is that you, the one that caused all this problem, this challenge with a drought? It, it, you're, you're showing up finally now? And verse 18, powerful verse from Elijah, he says, I've not caused trouble for Israel. Drought's not my fault. He says, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. And now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Ashtoreth who eat at Jezebel's table. He's, what Elijah's saying is, I'm not the troubler. The trouble is sin. See, sin causes trouble. And you've sponsored the sin that has created the trouble you're in. I, I think that's an important lesson for us today. 
Three years of famine, no rain had fallen on Israel. And all this punishment was happening to the nation because of the sin that Ahab and Jezebel had introduced to it. See, sin is actually, the word sin is actually an archery term. It means as you shoot an arrow to miss the target mark, to miss that that mark, that target that you're shooting for. And when you and I when you and I shoot our lives in the direction of our lives and it doesn't hit the mark that God intends, that's called sin. We all do it. Every one of us continue to sin. Even with those of us that are believers, we're still struggling with sin as a part of our life. And here's the weird thing about sin that you can read out of this text, out of this story. You would think that sin, like a drought, punished by a drought, would, would actually change our behavior. But Sin actually hardens our behavior. The more we sin, the harder we get in it. It's like we have to defend ourselves or prove ourselves right or, or we're so stuck in it, we don't want to change. And that's the trouble. See, sin, accepting sin into our lives creates the trouble of our lives. That's what was happening in Israel. Israel had accepted the sin into their life and it was causing trouble. I was reading a story recently about a, a pig accepted on a plane. I guess two passengers that were flying from Philadelphia to Seattle had first class tickets and they wanted this pig to join them in first class. They convinced the airline agents that the pig was a therapeutic companion pet. I don't know how they did that. But this 300 pound huge monstrous pig was permitted onto the plane to sit in a seat in first class. Well, after the plane took off that pig, it just couldn't be held back. And finally, they released it to stand on the floor. And, and this pig just starts taking off. It's so scared and angry and upset. It starts moving around throughout all of the cabin down into the economy seats. And people were jumping out of their seats and getting up under their seats because they were afraid of this 300-pound pig. This pig, for six hours on the flight, was a nuisance and a struggle for everybody on it. Friends, I got news for you. That's exactly what sin does when we release it into our lives. We think of it as a companion pet, but God knows that it's just going to destroy and damage and hurt the rest of our, our lives. And he calls us to avoid it because it's going to bring trouble. And that's a word for somebody today. There's a teenager, there's a college student, there's a young adult, there's, there's even some of us that know better and we think we can handle it or it's not going to affect us or we're not going to be hurt by it, but sin always causes us trouble. I wonder, friends, if sin is a troublemaker, why do we embrace it? That's exactly what Elijah is asking Israel. What are you doing, Ahab? You've brought sin into the land. Now bring all of those people that you've set up as priests, those Baal and Astra priests, and bring them together. We're going to have this out once and for all. Look what happens next. Verse 20, so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel, this, this mountain that stands, that looks out over all the area, the land of that region. And Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Now, just a word about Mount Carmel. I loved that site when we visited it two years ago on our trip to Israel. It was one of my favorite locations because you get up to this mountain and it's really, it's not only just a mountain, but it's so green and lush, lots of brush and briars, all this stuff around it. You drive up to the top of this place and when you get to this, this uh, church that's built on the top of, of Mount Carmel, you can see from the roof of that church all the way over to the Mediterranean and all of the coastal areas there. And then you can look on the other side of this hill, this mountain, and you can see the Valley of Megiddo, Armageddon, if you will. And you can see mountain ranges on the east side of Israel, Cana, Nazareth, and all these places that have great history in Israel. It was this amazing place where everything can be seen. And if everything can be seen from this mountain... It made me think when Elijah assembles the people there, how millions of people, all of the residents of the nation of Israel could easily have fit into the valley to watch what was going to happen next. And he calls them out and he says, listen, how long will you waver between your decision? Make a choice, he says. 
You choose Baal to be God or the Lord to be God. Quit this compromise stuff. Quit trying to blend them together. Either God is God or Baal is God. Choose today which you will choose to be Lord. See, sin, sin also requires and reveals our decisions. We may think we're hiding things from God, but actually all we're doing is the sin is revealing our decisions to God. <laughs> I, if I had a different career than what I'm doing, I always wanted to be a pilot, either a, a naval aviator or, or an astronaut, something. I always wanted to fly stuff. I was reading in my study of it years ago that at takeoff, pilots, as they take off down the runway, the, the co-pilot will call out to the pilot, V1. And what that V1 word means is the momentum of the plane and the shortest, the distance, shrinking distance of the runway, there's a V1 point at which you have to take off. If you choose not to take off after V1, you will not stop the plane in time before the end of the runway. You must take off after V1. And, and what I'm seeing out of this is, is that Elijah is telling Israel, it's a V1 moment for you. You either are going to choose to follow God or you're going to choose to follow Baal and there is no stopping after this point. And friends, maybe you're on a V1 point in your spiritual life right now. Maybe you're approaching that spot in a decision of your life where one way or the other, you're going to feel the consequences of it. You've wavered all the way up to V1, but you've got to make a choice now because one way or the other, you're either taking off or you're going to crash. That's exactly what this decision point is for Israel. They need to decide who is their true God. And friends, I share that with you because sin will always try to delay that decision. Sin will always try to convince you you've got longer amount of time. Sin will always try to push you to get beyond the V1 so that the consequences are there whether you choose or not. You have these moments often. And they happen every day. Let me give you some examples. Listen, young person, children, listen right now. You get one of those decision points every time your parents confront you with something and you have to choose whether you're going to tell the truth or try to hide it in a lie. That's a V1 point. Your boss comes to you at work, some of you that are working and wants to do something and you have that V1 point. Should I really support this with all I've got or am I going to back off and try to avoid it? Or maybe you're working at home and you have these V1 points at home. Am I really giving my work what it is deserved or am I just trying to coast and hide from the work that I'm, do, that I'm supposed to be doing? Maybe you're married and you're wondering whether you really want to invest in the marriage or trying to coast through it and get what you want out of it. See, there's hundreds of decisions that hit that V1 point. Oh, I'm going to be angry or I'm going to be forgiving. Am I, am I going to trust God or am I going to do it on my own? And at some point, you've got to make a decision because you're either going to fly or crash. Israel has to make a choice. And so do you and I. And sin reveals to God the true decision of our heart. So I won't read the rest of, or part of the rest of this passage, the story. Many of you remember this story about Elijah and the, and the altar. So Elijah calls 850 prophets to one. I'm just imagining this in my context. Calls 850 prophets to go, hey, you 850, I'll take you all on. And then he tells him, you go build your altar to Baal and I'll build one to my God and we'll take a, a sacrifice and put him on there and then you call out to Baal for, for your Baal to light the fire of the altar. I'll call out to my God and do the same. And then, this is my, my version, I just imagine Elijah taking a lawn chair and sitting back and relaxing and watching these Baal prophets all day long. All morning they set up the altar, they call out to God and Elijah from his, from his chair, hey, come on. You, he obviously can't hear you. You need to say it louder. Come on. And there go the Baal prophets crying out to Baal for them to light the altar. Oh, maybe Baal's busy. You know, he's your God, but maybe he's busy or he's traveling or he's forgotten something or he's not awake. You need to, you need to try harder all day long. And then comes the evening moment of sacrifice, the typical time of sacrifice in Elijah. Says, says to people, hey, come over here. Or maybe, basically what he's saying is, watch this. And gets up, 
goes over to his altar, sets up the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, lays his altar, his sacrifice on the altar, digs a trench around the altar, and then, and then even tells the people around him, go get some water, dump it on the altar. Oh, d- dump more of it on the altar. He fills up the altar with water to the point that water's dripping into the trench he just dug. And then 850 prophets all day long trying to cry out to their God. Here's Elijah just says a short prayer. He just, he just calls out to God in a real short way. He says, Lord, God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and, all, and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Verse 37, answer me, Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil and all that licked up the water in the trench. And verse 39 says, when all the people, hundreds of thousands, maybe a million people, all saw this, they fell prostrate on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And you would too if you were there. See that moment right there. Great story. Who knows where the lightning came, the fire came from? Was it lightning that struck it at that specific moment? Or did God send something, a fire from heaven? Who knows? Some even say a small meteor hit it. That would have been crazy because it would have destroyed everybody around them. But here's the real point. In that moment, you saw the right response to sin. Not to harden our hearts, but to turn back in repentance. See, sin needs repentance. And repentance is a churchy word. I'm sorry for that. It's not really supposed to be. Repentance is a military term. It just means about face. You just turn back from the way you were going. That's what Israel did. They got on their dirt and they cried out to God, you are God. We turned back from our stupid ways before. We want you to know you are our God and we will make you God again. See, sin needs repentance. And I look at that passage, and especially in our current moment, in this current season, this year we've had, and I wonder what it would take for us to repent. I wonder what it's going to take from God to get our attention. Is it going to be a lightning bolt or a fire bolt from heaven? Or maybe, maybe a pandemic would do it. <laughs> Maybe earthquakes and fires that consume all of our property might do it. Maybe hurricanes coming up and wiping out the southern part of the United States would do it. Maybe, maybe, it, would take, maybe it would take something like a politic, political unrest. I don't know, God. But I do know this. The only way that God can change it is for us to repent. And that's what he wants. He's not looking for your emotions. It's not an emotional thing. It's a decision thing. He just wants us to turn back to him and he's ready to supply our need and take care of our sin. But it requires us to stop what we're currently doing and turn back, repent. Ravi Zacharias, great minister throughout the world, passed away recently. And I don't know if he was the originator of this statement, but it's one I remember him saying. I wrote it down one time listening to a message from him. He said, sin will take you further than you want to go and it will, it will keep you longer than you want to stay and will cost you more than you want to pay. It had cost Israel three years of famine and drought. And it's costing us now. I say this bluntly and transparently, We're at fault here. It's costing us now because of our sin in this nation. And it will continue to get worse until we repent. It's our decision. And he's giving us a chance to make that and turn back to him. And I hope you're listening to that. 
Whether you're a young person or a student or an adult, I hope you're listening carefully today. Sin requires repentance. It's the only response. And you have the chance to turn back to him right now, right where you're sitting. You can listen, you can understand, you can choose, and you can repent. And God is ready to do that with you. And it's as simple as making a confession. God, forgive me. I failed you. I sinned against you. Help me, God. That's repentance. Look what happens next. So then Elijah commanded everybody around, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let any of them get away. And they seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley down below where they were at and slaughtered them there. Killed off all of the sin that was accumulating in Israel through Baal and Ashtoreth. And then Elijah turned to Ahab and he, I think this was sarcastic, maybe not. Go and eat and drink for there's sound of heavy rain to come. So that's exactly what Ahab did. He went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bent down to the ground and put his, put his face between his knees. Look at the change between those two. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he sent his servant over to the area of Mount Carmel so you can see all the Mediterranean Sea. There's nothing there, his servant said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back and look. And on the seventh time, a cloud as small as a man's fist started to appear in the Mediterranean. And Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops. You better get down the end of the valley and get some protection because this rain's going to come quickly. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds and wind rose and a heavy rain started falling. First rain in three years. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And the power of the Lord came on Elijah and he tucked his cloak into his belt and he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now friends, I, I look at that and here's the last thing I want you to hear about sin. And this is the good news. Sin is washed with forgiveness. God does not want to leave us in our sin. In fact, that was his choice with Jesus. Jesus chose to come and bear our sin and he took it away from us on the cross, past, present, and future. When you repent, he takes all of that sin away. Now, you may still suffer consequences of the past, but you are clean spiritually. Look at the contrast here between Ahab and Elijah. Ahab's off partying. Talk about sin. He's just off doing the same thing he's been doing. But Elijah is repenting for Israel on his knees. It's crazy. See, Elijah's prayers honored God and God brought the rain. Rain is an interesting symbol in the Bible, isn't it? Do you remember rain stories in the Bible? Like the rain story of Noah, how God brought the rain to cleanse the land. Rain is always considered a gift of God. And here it's a gift from God to heal the land of Israel. In a sense, symbolically, he was baptizing the land <laughs> and cleansing the people. Now, I share that with you because at the heart of God is a desire to cleanse us from our sin. That's his love for you and me. He showed it at the cross where his son died for you and me. And it's throughout Scripture he promises to cleanse us from our sin if we ask it of him. In fact, 1 John 1, 9 is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Friends, I'm telling you that today because you can choose to be Ahab or you can choose to be Elijah. You can choose to live it up in this life and that's all you'll get. Or you can choose to repent and turn back to God and he'll cleanse you forever. Which do you choose? Yasuko Namba was at the top base camp of Everest and she was at a decision point. She could either choose to climb on her own or she could follow the wisdom of the people that knew the mountain. And she chose herself and paid the ultimate price. And friends, I'm telling you today, I don't care if you're sitting at home. I don't care if you're by yourself. You have been given 
a gift from God today. You have been given a decision point, a choice. And if you've never surrendered to Jesus, he's giving you that chance right now. He's ready to receive your repentance. He's ready to shower you with his reign of forgiveness. He's ready to receive you into his kingdom forever. But it's your choice. You can climb on your own or you can follow him. So that's my call today. Stop wavering. Decide who will be your God. And he's ready to receive you. Choose this day, Joshua said. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Peter said, repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of God. Choose. And friends, if you're If you're new to this, I would encourage you to text us and let us know if you've got questions. Get online and go on our website and click the connect button and let me me know if you want to talk more about it. If you're ready to receive Jesus, then start today with the confession Peter gave. You can repeat it after me. I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. But either way, decide. Because that's the only way you'll climb your mountain. And God, I just pray for people today that we would receive the gift of decision you've given us. You've offered it to us over and over throughout Scripture. It's the common call of the Old and New Testament. And now because of Jesus, we have reason to celebrate and receive the forgiveness he offers us. So today we take action on that. Every person listening right now has something they need to repent of. Every person. So don't let us grow a harder heart of it. But help us to release it. And to repent. And be washed with your forgiveness. So that we can climb our mountains well. God, I pray for the one right now who's wrestling with this that you would shower them with your encouragement and your grace and your strength so that they can follow you wholeheartedly. Help us to always see our decisions as caramel moments, a chance to choose and give us the courage to do so righteously. (laughs) Bless us today in your name and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, thanks for watching today and I hope you'll continue in our mountain series. Check in online if you have any questions or follow up from this. You can watch our communion meditation. We encourage communion as the core piece of your worship every Sunday, remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So take advantage of that time, the meditation and the prayer time, and then celebrate with a cracker and juice at home or whatever you have. Looking forward to next Sunday as we continue and I hope you have a great week. We'll see you then. Have a great Sunday. In Deuteronomy 34, I want to tell you a quick story. Gordon Johnson is a member of a, he was a minister to a small church in Montclair, New Jersey. It's a, it's a little town that sits on the, on the side of the mountain area of, called the Orange Mountains of New Jersey. He said he had a 140-member church. It wasn't moving as much as he wanted. He wasn't seeing progress like he had hoped, and he was getting discouraged. So one day, he, he ended up taking a hike up one of the areas of the Orange Mountain and got to this lookout at the top of one of the mountains there. And he he realized he could look out and see all the way across the Hudson to the area of Manhattan in New York City. And further, he could look beyond and see the mountains of Connecticut. And then he could look south and see Trenton, New Jersey, and all of this populous city area of northern New Jersey. And he realized, 10% of the United States population is within my view. I may be part of a small church, but the impact we can have is amazing. God has given me an opportunity to impact the world through our small church. And friends, I share that with you to give you a word today, perspective. See, at the top of that mountain, at the top of that lookout, Gordon could have a perspective about how important his life and his ministry really were. And today on Mount Nebo, Moses is going to get a perspective 
Not of, not of where he was going to go, but what he had already achieved. And God shows him a perspective about obedience that he'd never received throughout the 40 years of his ministry, bringing the Israelites up from Egypt. Now, you hear the word obedience, and maybe right now, like many people, even like myself, that word obedience has a negative connotation. As soon as you hear obedience, you think obligation. Oh, I got to do something. He's going to preach to me about what I have to do. No, today I want you to see obedience in a brand new light. If you're a rule keeper, this is going to challenge you and challenge the motives you have in obedience and rule keeping. And if you're a rebel, <laughs> kind of like Diane and I, it's going to show you something about obedience that you've never seen before and change your perspective. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 34. This is actually the follow-up to an earlier passage where God tells Moses to to pack up his bags and finish his ministry and leave his last words with the Israelites because he's going to climb Mount Nebo and die there. Mount Nebo, by the way, is a mountain on the east side of the Jordan River. It overlooks the Jordan Valley and it looks towards the rest of Israel. And look what happens in chapter 34, Moses' last story in the scripture. It starts this way. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo and from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. By the way, people that are going to Israel, that trip got canceled last year. Next March, we have slots available and this is one of the stopping sites for the extension part of the trip, this, this particular spot. Let's go on. He says, there the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, and the whole region from the Valley of Jericho, the City of Palms, as far as Zoar. Now, let's just stop right there. I just want you to see that. The Lord showed Moses the whole land. Do you realize when he saw all of that, he was seeing the future of Israel? See, from that spot, he could see all the way south towards Sinai and Horeb, all the way north towards uh, Hermon, all the way east, or east, west, excuse me, towards Tabor and Gilboa and Jerusalem, Moriah, where Jerusalem would be, and all beyond. He saw the whole Jordan Valley from that spot. On a clear day, he could see just about all of Israel. And not only was he seeing the land, but he was seeing God's hand as well. See, he didn't know it yet, but he was looking directly at Jericho where Joshua would cross over and defeat that city. He was looking across from that into Moriah where Jerusalem would eventually be set up and God would use that mountaintop to save us with the death of Jesus on the cross. He, he was looking further up north towards Galilee and he could see Hermon and mountains along that area. He could look further south and see the range of Sinai and all of the land that Israel was. All of the mountains that Moses had climbed to get there were within his view, but he was seeing what God's hand would do. See, it's amazing what God can do when he helps us with obedience. And see, that's the first reflection here, perspective. I want you to see obedience takes God's help. Eric Weinemeyer had a degenerative eye disease that caused him to go blind. It, he lost his eyesight at 13, but he had already started learning how to climb mountains at the time. So with the help of trainers and coaches, he continued to learn how to mountain climb. And finally, he worked his way up to the point that he was ready to tackle Everest. Can you imagine? Blind adult trying to climb Mount Everest blind. But on May 25th of 2001, he pinnacled at the top of Mount Everest. As the story goes, here's when he reported it later, here's how he got to the top of the mountain. He would listen to the little bell attached to the back of the climber in front of him and follow that bell as he climbed. He would listen to the coach's instruction about where to grab hold of and where to place his feet and how to navigate up and down that mountain according to the instructions of his coach. And he would listen to the sound of the pick jabbing into the ice to know whether the pick made enough contact and support in order to hold his weight. He would use his ears in an amazing way to be able to navigate and climb 
a mountain. Friends, that's exactly what Moses did. Throughout the 40 years of his ministry, rescuing the Israelites out of Egypt and carrying them through the desert, he listened to God and God helped him to obey. And that's why he finds himself looking at the mountains yet to come. Because just as God helped Moses get to Nebo, he was going to help the Israelites get into Israel. See, friends, I want you to hear that clearly because listening to God and obeying is the only way to climb your mountains. It's the only way you'll make progress. And just like Eric Weinemeyer and just like Moses, God is ready to help those who listen to him. Obedience helps, allows God to help us to obey. If God can carry Moses for 40 years through a desert, he can help you climb your mountain too. Look at the second reflection here. Obedience releases God's promises. Verse four, look what God says to Moses at the top of the mountain. He says, then the Lord said to him, to Moses, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I've let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. This is the land I promised I would give to your ancestors. But because of your obedience, Moses, now you get to see it accomplished. See, for 600 years, God had promised this land to Israel. And Israel finds itself in Egypt because of Joseph and the, and the famine and, and then lives in Egypt for a long period of time as slaves to the Pharaoh. And finally, Israel's rescued by Moses and crosses over to the, to the west side of the Jordan and then disobeys God and doesn't trust him and ends up wandering in the desert for 40 years. And yet God, being patient, he continued to work Israel, 600 years of effort, to get them to this moment. And the reason they find themselves at this moment was because of Moses' obedience for the last 40 years. I think that's an amazing story about how powerful obedience is. See, we want obedience to be this short-term quick event. We just want to obey and it's all done. But God to God, obedience is a long, slow, daily walk. I heard about this guy by the name of Paul Salopek. Paul Salopek is a journalist decided to do something in 2013. Now, I just heard about this. I'm going to be following this from now on. But in 2013, he wanted to start a decade-long, 10-year walk that would navigate from Africa all the way through every nation and end up in South America. He had this plan. You can see it online. He was going to walk the world. He called it Out of Eden. <laughs> he started in 2013, was supposed to take 10 years. Seven years now later, he's only made it up through India. He's still got a long way to go. It's going to take longer than 10 years. But what's interesting is what he said about this walk. Somebody was talking to him about it, and he recorded this. He says, walking is just like falling forward. Like every time you take a step, you're, you're actually falling forward. And he said, each step we take is like an arrested plunge. I stop myself from falling. It, it keeps a collapse from averting. And it's like a disaster break. And then he said this, and this is why I tell you this story. Continuing to walk is a daily act of faith. Continuing to walk is a daily act of faith. See, here's what happens. When you and I continue to walk in obedience every day for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, God releases his promises. He, he's not looking for someone that can obey one day and then that's it. He's looking for somebody that will obey every day, walking according to his word and his ways. Because through that person, he can release his promises. That's exactly what Moses gets to see here. In fact, God confirms that all those promises I gave Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm fulfilling through you, Moses. Can you imagine what God could do to fulfill through you and I, if we would just fully obey him? Can you imagine the promises he could fulfill in our lives if we would take his word seriously and just obey it? We want obedience to be quick. But God wants it to be a long, slow walk with him. And friends, this is a season 
where God can watch our true obedience. This is a season, I know you're watching online, where he can tell whether you're serious about your walk with him or just checking it off the list this week. He can see whether you're truly obeying him every day of your life or you're just marking it off on your list to say you did it so you don't have to do anything else. He's looking for people like Moses that he can fulfill his promises through. And friends, I look at that and I think about my child and my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. When you and I obey God daily, it blesses the generations after us with God's promises through us. See, obedience takes God's help, but it's where he releases his promises. And look at verse four again. One other thing about it. Obedience reveals God's favor. I never saw this before, but the end of verse four, he says, I have let you see it with your own eyes. And then he goes on, but you will not cross over into it. Now, two thoughts about that statement. Number one, Moses wasn't allowed to cross over because of his disobedience. If you don't know the story, back further in the Exodus and, and Numbers story, God uh, told Moses to go up to the, walks, to the rock of Meribah and hit it with his staff and release water out of the rock to, to give water to the people. But when Moses went up to it, he was so angry, so frustrated with the Israelites that instead of giving God glory, he just struck the rock and said, do I have to give you water? And he strikes the rock and he stole the glory from God. It's very disobedient. And God told him at that moment, because you did that, you won't get to cross over into the promised land. Very disappointing. That just makes me pause and say, God, help me not to disobey you and miss out on the favor you want to give my life. But secondly, notice that phrase again. He says, I have let you see it with your own eyes. Do you realize how special that is? Do you realize how great it is when you can actually see the impact your life has had? Few of us ever get to see that and we never get to see the full impact. See, Moses got the ability to see all of the blessing of his obedience. He got to see God's favor being poured out on Israel because of the rest of his obedience every day of his life. And friends, that's a word for you and I. You, you, can make, you can make an impression with people or like Moses, you can make an impact all based on your obedience. I was reading the story of Robert Morrison. Robert Morrison was a minister in England a long time ago. He was the first Protestant missionary to China. He was the first one, at least we know on record, that became a missionary to China. He was a Bible translator, knew the Chinese language. So at a young age, as a minister, he decided to move to China into that, into that country where, where Christianity was rejected and even tortured and killed. People were tortured and killed for their effort to bring Christianity to China. One of the reporters asked him, do you really expect to make an impression on the idolatry of great China and their empire? And listen to his reply, no. I don't expect to make an impression, but I believe God will make an impact. That's a powerful statement. I believe God will make an impact. Here's what I believe. When you and I obey God, he makes an impact through us. He brings favor into our lives and blessings to the lives of others. Your obedience and mine has a huge impact on people around us. God reveals his favor through our obedience. You can make an impression with your life or you can make an impact. See, impression ends at the funeral. But that's where impact begins. Impression is easy to do. Just get on social media and make it look like you're having a great life. That'll be an impressive thing. But impact takes work and daily effort and courage and commitment. And friends, I want Journey to be a church that makes an impact not just gives a great impression. Look at the last part of this. This is what's, this piece right here, this last reflection on obedience struck me in a way I did not expect. In fact, I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on this last chapter of Deuteronomy. I've never heard anybody talk about Mount Nebo, but this is, this verse 10 really hit me. You can read the rest of the chapter later, but verse 10 says this. Since then, Moses 
died. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Let me read that again. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and all the officials in his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. God knew Moses face to face. Here's what I drew out of that. Obedience is not an obligation. See, that's what we think. We think, oh, I got to obey to make God happy, and then I get the favor, and then he does the promises, and then he helps me. No, obedience is the gift. What God gives us as an assignment, the commands he gives us, that's his gift to us. When he gives us those assignments and those commands, that's to steer our life to where he wants to bless us. And our obedience to his assignments and commands, that's our gift to him. His assignment is his gift to me. My obedience is my gift to him. That's why at the end of the life, it's not Moses' resume that mattered. It's his relationship with God that mattered. <laughs> Who else could say they met God face to face? Who else could say that God performed all these mighty deeds through him? Who else could say that at the end of his life, he would get the honor of the greatest prophet of Israel at the time. That was all because obedience was his gift, Moses' gift, back to God. And friends, I was thinking about this related to my own life. And I was struck by a story. But years ago, when I was a kid, my grandpa lived on a farm in southern Ohio. He's south of Dayton, Ohio. We would get to go down there and visit him all the time. And during the summer months, my brother, younger brother and I, we'd get to go down there and live with grandma and grandpa for a few weeks of the summer. Now, I'm sure mom did that, sent us away so she could have us out of her hair and out of the house for a few weeks. But we saw it as a gift. We would go down there and work on the farm, but my grandpa's side job during the year was also to build custom houses. He was an architect and a carpenter. Incredible skill, incredible uh, capacity, great skill set. So we would get in his truck and he'd take us to a construction site and we'd be at a house or a project that he was working on and he'd have us do menial tasks like pick up this wood and throw it over in the trash or go move that pile of blocks over to this area where we're going to build a wall or help me carry in these plasterboard or, or wood or plywood or whatever. We get to be a part of some construction projects that he was doing. And I look back on that and most of what I learned as a carpenter and as a woodworker and as, for, as ability to repair things in a house, I learned from my grandpa. He taught me so much that I didn't even know it. But I think back on those days with my grandpa and doing those assignments and all the things he assigned me to do, I don't remember a single thing that I built. I can't remember, I barely remember some of the houses I worked on when I drive around the area. But I remember moments and the joy I had working with my grandpa. I loved the time I had with my grandpa. And that's exactly what Moses had at the end of his life. He, he died still a healthy man. He had 120 years old and he had full energy and still able to see, still able to function. But he died well because he saw obedience as a gift to God. Friends, I'm telling you today, make God's words your gift to him. Follow his word in obedience so that he can receive the gift back of his assignments and command gifts to you. I, I would say this bluntly. I would call you to obey the word of God. I, I challenge you to live a sexually pure life. I challenge you to be financially frugal. I challenge you to give and serve and live in the kingdom with the maximum capacity you have. I call you to obey his words. Moses said it this way when he gave his whole story in Deuteronomy. He ended his words with this. These words I give you today are not just idle words. They are your life. Deuteronomy 32, 47. Friends, your obedience to the words of Jesus and the commands of God 
and the assignment he's given you is your gift back to him. So make God's word your way. Each week we end with a reflection time, and that's exactly what this whole message has been, a reflection of Moses' life. I encourage you to use those questions today to reflect on your own obedience. What do you want your impact to be? What do you want your impact? Forget your impressing, forget the world, reputation, all that stuff. What do you want your impact in this life to be? And what is your relationship with obedience? Is it an obligation or is it your gift to him? How do you change your mindset about obeying God's commands and assignments? I encourage you to reflect on that today. And if you have not surrendered your life to God in reflection of that, I encourage you today to turn back to him. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to him. Maybe you've never repented of your sin, your old life, and been baptized into the new life that he offers you. You can start that process right now. We use the confession of Peter to start to make that change, to, to offer your, the start of your new life. You just repeat it after me. I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. And friends, if you made that decision today, I encourage you to text me or email me or let us know on our journeycc.net page. We have a baptism Sunday coming up at the end of the month. And if you're in Tracy, I'd love to encourage you to come and be baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ and start your walk of obedience. See, here's the thing. This was the end of Moses' story. But we get a second chance to walk in obedience for him. And God, I just pray for people today that we would see a different perspective about obedience out of this chapter. I pray that we would see now, before we get to the end of our life, the joy and the gift that we get to give to you by obeying your word. I call out your power and your strength to help anybody who's struggling today because you give us help to obey. And I ask you to release your promises and reveal your favor to us so that we can continue to obey you fully, not out of obligation, but as our gift to you. Bless us as we follow your ways, and may you get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You are listening to the Journey Christian Church Podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at journeycc.net. Today's message is brought to you by Scott McFarlane. We hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church Podcast. If you would like to support us as we pursue God and love people one at a time, please consider giving a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeycc.net backslash giving.